Hi everyone, so this is my final project, Scarce Resources and the COVID-19 Pandemic. So I chose this project because we talked a little bit about scarce resources um, in terms of organ donation mostly earlier throughout this online learning process and also at the same time, COVID-19 pandemic, the coronavirus is something very relevant to all of us right now. So I thought it'd be cool to kind of juxtapose those two things and do a little bit more research for my final project. So in this podcast, I'm going to be interviewing my father, who is a nephrologist or a kidney doctor. Um, He is still working. Technically, he is an essential worker. And he also, even though he doesn't, he's not critical care, he's not um, emergency room type medical profession, but he still has some interesting perspective, I like to say on this COVID-19 pandemic, exactly what's going on there. So I will be interviewing him later on in the podcast, getting his opinion and also sharing mine about um, scarce resource allocation during this time. But before that, I wanted to start off with a little bit of background type information. So scarce resources in this context would be things such as personal protective equipment, ventilators and people who know how to work the ventilators, even testing at one point or in some places is still a scarce resource, hospital beds, and then of course, if or whenever you get a treatment or vaccine, whatever that looks like, that will also be a scarce resource because supply is less than demand. We will always have more people needing a vaccine than we will be able to produce, at least during these early stages of Again, whatever vaccine or treatment looks like. So in considering ethical values in scarce resource allocation, most bioethicists can agree we can focus on kind of four areas. Maximizing benefits, which means either saving the most lives, saving the most life years, or a combination of the two. So for example, if you save 20 lives, great. But there is a difference between saving the lives of 20 80 year old people who may not have that much longer to live naturally versus saving the lives of 20 12 year old kids because hopefully they would have many more life years ahead of them so thus we have more life years so just some sort of mixture of the two or some say hey just save the most lives some say no we should also focus on life years that gets a little bit more nuanced in the states The second thing we can think about is treating people equally. Often when you have tie breaks in the allocation process, most bioethicists recommend just do random selection in that case, because again, that is the most fair, equal way to do it when all else is the same. The third thing is promoting instrumental value. So what that means is people who have made relevant contributions to society or people likely to make relevant contributions to society Um, You can probably already see here that's a little tricky because who's going to predict who's going to make relevant contributions to society in 10, 20 years or even what those contributions would look like. But in these terms, this often translates to frontline workers having some priority in the allocation process or even people who volunteer themselves for coronavirus testing or experimental trials, things like that. Some states will suggest, hey, give these people priority. They are putting their life on the line to help end this whole pandemic type thing. 
And then the fourth thing we can think about is giving priority to the worst off. So often this means um, promoting the sickest first and promoting the youngest first. But of course, there is a balance between the worst off versus the worst off and they're not going to survive even if we give them these resources. So this becomes especially true in ventilator allocation. We, not we, but it's often understood that you want to put the sickest people on the ventilator who are going to need it most, but they can't be too sick that they aren't going to make it with the ventilator because, again, that is a ventilator that could go to someone else. So that's the fine line that must be balanced there. All right, so I have my dad with me now. And the first question I'm going to ask him is, what is your experience with exclusion criteria in resource allocation, because one of the most interesting things I noticed throughout my research was that California specifically stated, their health department stated, that for ventilator allocation, there is no exclusion criteria. Whereas on the other hand, New York did say, yes, we do have some exclusion criteria. So what is your experience with that? Well, in a sense, we had been lucky. We live in Southwest Michigan and, um, well, we never really had uh, been hit really hard like uh, New York, New Jersey, or even in Michigan, east side of the state, such as Detroit. So luckily, at least in the hospital that I'm working, we never really had to uh, face this difficult question of exclusion criteria, but I can foresee that uh, when things become really hectic and when we are overwhelmed with many patients than available beds, then yes, I can foresee that the exclusion criteria may have to come into play, uh, not necessarily at COVID, you know, in other uh, healthcare crises, we did have those kind of scenario, similar scenario where we have to decide where to prioritize. So, um, so personally in Southwest Michigan, in the hospital that I'm working, I did not face it, but I hear from my colleagues in um, New York City that at some point when the hospital system was overwhelmed, they have to prioritize which patient be put on ventilator, which patient be admitted versus who will be sent home. And um, uh, it's, it's a tough decision to set up a criteria. Could you foresee in some instances where exclusion criteria can and should be justified as ethical, whether it be, you know, do the most good or um, do no harm, this patient will be better off in comfort care, that sort of thing? Uh, yes, I do have such kind of experience or decision-making experience, not necessarily COVID-related, but I'm a kidney doctor and I do what you call as dialysis. Dialysis is a process where we take over the function of the kidneys when the kidneys failed. So in a normal human body, you know, the kidneys should be working, making urine. And if that stops, our bodies accumulate with waste products. And by doing dialysis, we can artificially clean the blood. But sometimes when every other organ systems in the body is failing, for example, like we have a very elderly, frail patient, 80, 90 year old, maybe nursing home bound, maybe who had had stroke already, and maybe memory is not good, both from the stroke and um, dementia. 
and paralyzed because of the stroke and weak heart from prior heart attack after many organs have failed, when their kidney function failed, theoretically, yes, I can take over the function of the kidney by doing this dialysis, but in the big picture, uh, I do not think it's fair or uh, it changed the overall outlook. Uh, the quality of life is certainly not going to be improved. Patient may pass away a little longer in six months time instead of passing away in two weeks or a month. In that case, I have had a lot of conversation with the family members trying to explain to them that just because this treatment modality is available, it is unethical or uh, at least to me, um, unethical to subject this patient to this kind of treatment. Um, majority of the family members or the patients themselves often agree and understand once you take time and sit down and explain. But I also have instances where the family members disagree with the medical assessment and want everything to be done. And in that case, there is um, a specific bioethics team at the hospital kind of act as a third party, try to um, put in their own opinion, right? Yes. At that point, uh, things become a little dicey, you know, because of the medical legal implication. A physician, a doctor should not be making a unilateral decision based on the medical judgment alone. And you need to have a third party, uh, uh, unbiased third party who doesn't know you or who doesn't know the patient come in and see with a fresh set of eye to make some recommendation and yes. All right, so my next question is, what do you think are the pros and cons of different states having different allocation guidelines for scarce resources? Uh, yes, as you might have noticed by now in the United States, not every state was hit equally with this COVID pandemic. Uh, the truth is, there are some states you know, which are sparsely populated and not many travelers. Yes, they were lucky in the sense that they were not hit hard. And likewise, their health systems were not overwhelmed with COVID patients as well. So um, it is reasonable that different uh, states have um, different allocation guidelines. Um, on the other hand, sometimes it is also nice to have a um, unifying central body, making all these decisions for yourself. Otherwise, people start to think about and compare, stating, you know, this state is doing that way, why our state is doing that way. Um, so there are both pros and cons, and ideally it would have been nice to have a central organizing body which will give at least broad guidelines and the individual states being allowed to make some amendments. So as a medical professional, when you're doing your work, would you say you focus mostly on saving the greatest number of lives, saving the most life years, or some sort of combination of the two? Well, I have to choose the combination of the two. You know, no two person is alike, alike and we have to individualize what we recommend. You know, two 80 years olds are alike. Yeah, I would... I would agree there. I think that 
each case always has its nuances and saving a large number of lives is important, but it's also good to look at quality of life, life years, all of those sort of things. Finally, my last question is going to be, what do you think about the notion that we should give frontline workers priority in the allocation process, assuming, you know, a middle-aged person needs a ventilator, one, he may happen to be a frontline worker, should we give him a ventilator over another middle-aged person, same health, who just isn't a frontline worker? What do you think there? Um. It is hard to tell. I have a personal opinion and uh, maybe there is another, you know, public overall consensus. My personal opinion is frontline worker really need not be giving preference. Everybody should be looking to how healthy he was before, how badly he needed and be decided. Yeah, I personally, I would agree there too. Um, my take on it would be that most or all essentially frontline workers are not doing this thinking, I want to jump the line to get a ventilator in case I need one. They're doing it for other reasons, um, many of them altruistic. Likewise, I feel that there are other ways that we can and should support our frontline workers who we definitely should support during these times. Okay, so that's it from me and my dad now. You want to say bye? Bye, everyone. <laughs> thank you for talking with me, and thank you for listening. Bye now.